Hello, hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Let Fear Bounce. This is Kim Langling, your host, and I am so happy that you are joining myself and my special guest today on this episode, Tommy Schnurmacher. Born in Budapest, he is a child of Holocaust survivors. He is an award-winning broadcaster and political pundit. He was the host of a three-hour daily talk show for more than 20 years on CJ ad radio in montreal his book makeup tips from auschwitz how vanity saved my mother's life is a memoir that details the foibles of his tumultuous relationship with his holocaust survivor mom who looked like elizabeth taylor and sounded like jaja gabor wow tommy welcome <laughs> to let fear bounce and i am really looking forward to this conversation and where this book came from and why you wrote it and all that good stuff so welcome to let fear bounce oh a pleasure to be here now when i first read your bio i just went wow literally that was all i said wow <laughs> so i want to hear first off why you wanted to write this book okay the reason i wanted to write the book i was a radio talk show host in uh, montreal for 25 years. And during the commercial breaks, the news director, Gord Sinclair, and I would be sort of chatting and I would just tell him stories about my life, about growing up, about what life was like with my family when I was a little kid and when we came, when we escaped from Hungary in the middle of the night. And he said, Tommy, one of these days, these stories are amazing. One of these days, you're gonna have to write a book. And so that's when I decided, one of these days came after I, I uh, had uh, retired, had been taking uh, from the radio station, and I'd uh, been taking notes uh, all along, but I'm the type of person who absolutely needs a deadline. If I have to show up somewhere for noon, I'm there at, at noon or before. At the newspaper, when my column had to be done by three in the afternoon, it was done by three in the afternoon. But if I do not have a deadline, I can't do anything. And so I needed, uh, that's why I never got around to writing the book for quite a while. And then uh, sitting in a little bookstore on St. Catherine Street in downtown Montreal, Canada, I just got a sudden epiphany. I'm gonna do like Costco. I'm gonna give it away a little sample at a time. So I went on Facebook and I said, I will write 1000 words of my memoir and you'll be able to read it before it's published uh, by noon every day. And I did that five days a week for five or six weeks. And it worked. That's, in other words, I felt, oh, oh I have to do it. What am I going to say if I don't have it by noon? What will people say? I promised I would do it. And that's how I got the discipline to actually write the book. What an awesome idea. That's, yeah. not, that's not anything I've thought of before, but what an awesome idea, because it would, that would keep you right on track. Right. It gives you uh, pressure. And then the other thing you can do, like you don't want to, you can't do that completely because then you've given away the entire book. Right. So you've got to do that. OK, that'll get half the book done. So what do we do with the second half of the book? There's another solution. This time you write a check to a cause that you absolutely do not believe in. Put that check made out to that cause in a small envelope. Put the small envelope in a large envelope and give the large envelope to a close friend and say, listen, if I don't send you the thousand words by such and such an hour, noon or one o'clock every afternoon, open up this big envelope. There's a small envelope in it. Take that small envelope and put it in the mail. Don't ask me anything. Just go ahead and do it. If it's one o'clock and it's not there, mail that envelope. And that also works because you really don't want to give that. You do not want that, that check to be deposited to this cause that you hate. So I still have the large envelope 
and the small envelope because I got the book. I got the book done. I got the book written. What an incredibly creative way to keep yourself on track. I mean, I love that right. idea. And I hope everybody out there listening, hey, you could use that for any number of things. Right. Yeah, it works. What an awesome idea. So the name of your book, Makeup Tips from Auschwitz. That just grabs your attention immediately, immediately, and makes you want to pick up the book. What made you come up with, or why did you come up with that particular title? Because when my mother told me, my mother was a Holocaust survivor, told me the story of the Holocaust. And when she told me how she survived, and it's an amazing uh, story, like when she got there in the, in the cattle car, along with it, we squeezed in with everyone else, and she uh, she was young enough and Joseph Mengele choosing who's going to go to the gas chamber and who's going to stay on as slave labor. She, he saw that she was young and fit, attractive and could work. So she, uh, that saved her life in effect. But when she got there, she, her vanity kicked in. She didn't like the outfit that they gave her. She didn't like the way it looked. It didn't fit properly. So she exchanged her daily ration of, of moldy bread for needle and thread and sewed up the outfit so that it fit perfectly. Uh, she took the swill that they served as coffee and instead of drinking it, she used it to polish her shoes. And during the morning roll call, this female commandant of Auschwitz, a woman by the name of Irma Greza, on whom they patterned the character Ilsa Shewolf of the SS. Irma Greza called her out of the lineup and said, how can you look like this in a place like this? How come you're dressed like that? So my mother told her, the truth told her exactly what she had done. And as a result, the, the woman said, well, then you're clean enough and you're gonna be my personal valet. So my mother became her personal valet and assistant tended to her garden, cleaned her bicycle, did things like that for this horrendous, monstrous mass murdering woman. But that is how in effect she, it saved her life. So her vanity, uh, in a, what could she do to fight back in, in, in a concentration camp? Nothing. They took her freedom. They took her name. They took everything. Right. They gave her a tattoo number. Her, her, her dignity, her personal dignity and her appearance, she was going to do whatever it took to hold on to that. And I think holding on to that is what saved her in the Holocaust, that kind of chutzpah. And now she had that kind of chutzpah later on in life with all kinds of funny stories involving Omar Sharif and Robert Redford and, and all kinds of things. That, and I have a lot of that chutzpah. Uh, my, myself and it also helped me like her survival skills helped me also deal with the whole COVID uh, epidemic because no matter how horrendous that was when I thought well compared to what mom went through this really is a picnic knowing if my Netflix subscription is okay or not is not the biggest uh, concern in life so uh, that really uh, helped me and I mean mother's stories were like the things that happened there I, I took her to the um, I took it to the uh, to the Oscars uh, with me because I was covering the, for the newspaper. And so I had a press pass and my friend Denny who worked for Associated Press said, listen, I'm only covering the arrivals and then uh, I can leave. So I'm gonna give you the press pass, give it to your mom. So great. So mom had Denny's press pass. So I had mine press pass, we were enjoying the Oscars. And all of a sudden Denny comes back and said, uh oh, the reporter who's gonna cover the rest of the evening called in sick. I need to ask for my press pass back. So uh, she, we have to give her back her press pass. Then we're there with only one. I'm passing it back and forth between me and mom. And then a six foot four LA cop comes over and says, okay, uh, which one of you is Tommy Schnurmacher? And my mother chimes in, 
Oh, officer, I'm so sorry. He is Tommy Schnurmacher. I am his mother. I don't have a press pass, but don't worry. I will walk home alone by myself, alone in dangerous Los Angeles. Anyway, needless to say, this charmed the police officer, put his arm around us, took us to a place on the sidewalk where we could even get a better view of the celebrities uh, arriving. That's another, that, that's one example. A another example, mom, I took mom to the Cannes Film Festival. Okay, so uh, we're at the Cannes Film Festival. I'm taking her out to one of the best restaurants in France, the Moulin de Mougin. And uh, she doesn't understand why we're not going to a restaurant next to the hotel, why we have to take a cab to go to a restaurant. I said, no, this is a very special uh, restaurant. It's one of the best restaurants in France, mom. And we get there. And as soon as we're there, she spots Omar Sharif. I said, mom, this like these celebrities come here. You can't bother them. You can't go over to ask for their autograph. They come here, they want their privacy. Anyway, I'm talking to myself because she's already gotten up and is walking towards his table. I am like horrified. I'm looking in the other direction. I said, oh my God, what am I gonna do? I hope they don't kick her out. What are they gonna say? And, and I slowly look back towards the table. And what do I see? I see Omar Sharif standing up, going to another table, getting a chair for my mom to sit with him and his party. And if that weren't enough, the next thing I see is mom's, Omar Sharif's hand in mom's hand. And she's looking at his palm. She's reading his palm, which is fascinating because she's not a palm reader. <laughs> he made that up right then and there. She made that up right then and there. So these are the, these are the kinds of stories that I talk about uh, in the book, coming from her chutzpah, from her character, and the relationship we had as, as you know, I tried to please her and do everything for her. And as she got older and developed dementia, et cetera, there are lots of interesting stories, despite the title, which many have said is a controversial title. It's a very positive book. It's a very uplifting uh, book with many wonderful stories and stories of, um, of, of triumph that are also funny. Well, you know, and if you can't find the laughter, even in dark humor, I mean, dark humor has its place. Right. Yeah, you know, I know my family and I, we often use it. We often use dark humor, especially when we're going through something really tough, because otherwise you would sink into that darkness. You need that humor to lift you right. out of it just a little bit. Yes, that's exactly what happened with many survivors. That's what happened. And I was despite the horrendous situation they were in that they held on they could hold on to that because that gave them i guess momentary respite from, right from the horror of what was going on and i couldn't i i can't even imagine or even try to put myself in any one of those person's shoes and for for just sounding you know listening to you speak about your mother she had that spark she had that that thing that it that she was able to cling to, to get through. Right. Um, and I can only imagine that, that they all did to some point and on, you know, on different levels, because what a, you know, what a horrendous time in history. And I don't think that the title is controversial okay. I, at all. I don't, I, it makes me want to go buy the book. Okay. Well, well, that was the intention when, cause that's why I thought about it. I said, what did she come back from? What did she tell me about? Like, the, the main part of the story she told me, my mother told me, was about the the makeup. In other words, how she made herself look good. She pinched her cheeks uh, to look uh, younger. To, mm -hmm. you know, so that it that all that mattered to her, even in the midst 
of everything uh, of everything going on. And even though, like I've read some, being a child of survivors, I've let, read so much about the book and, and the subject and seen films and documentaries, et cetera, we can't actually conceive right. what that was like for as a reality. It's one thing to read about it, but when, you know, you can put down the book or the movie ends, but when it's your daily life, it must've been uh, horrendous. But she used that spark, that it factor that you mentioned to help her through the rest of her life, uh, like we escaped from Hungary in the middle of the night, uh, you know, crossing a border filled with landmines when I was five years old. So she she went through that as well. Let me tell you another story about mom that indicates her character. She had to go in for a goiter uh, operation and um, the doctor comes in and says, oh, Mr. Schneemacher, we cannot operate uh, because you're pregnant. She says, don't be ridiculous. Get a real doctor. And then her gynecologist comes in and said, Mr. Schumacher, stop insulting the, uh, the tenants. Stop insulting the, the, the residents here. Um, uh, you are indeed uh, pregnant. And so um, she, she was uh, pregnant and she gave birth to a lovely baby girl. And I couldn't wait to visit my kid sister. I was 14 years old at the time and they didn't let you in until you were 16. So I went home. I was very disappointed. Then I went to my mom's room and I know she had a, a stand, a wig stand on it. So what I did is I took the wig and I put it on and I put on some uh, lipstick and makeup and well, I needed accessories. So I put on some earrings and a necklace and I put on my dress and her heels. And then I went out and my father says, have you got out of your mind? What are you doing? I said, I said, I want to go visit mom. Does it, do you look, do I look like a 14 year old boy? He says, no, you look like a hooker. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So let, we can go visit mom. So we walked over two blocks of the hospital, my father trailing behind me, not wanting to be seen with me, walked over to the hospital. I walked right past the nurse who said, you can't come in unless you're over 16. She didn't recognize me at all, into mom's room. I, and uh, mom sees me and is with my father and is momentarily taken aback, trying to figure out who this is. And then she says, oh my God. And the lady next to her says, who is this lady? She looks just like you. She's, and my mom says, that's my sister. <laughs> and that, so that's how I got to visit. That's how I got to visit my, my sister when she was a, a day, like, I guess a day, a day old. And another quick story about mom. They lived in a, a duplex. They had tenants upstairs, right? And one day the, uh, the phone rings and the, uh, my mother answers the phone. And it's um, the tenant uh, who says, Mrs., Mr. Schneermacher, there's no heat. My mother says, move to Florida. <laughs> the woman hangs up. Uh, I mean, my mother hangs up. Uh, and, and then the woman calls back and she says, Mr. Schnurmacher, I'm, I'm serious. There, there's no heat. Well, don't walk around naked and close the window. That's what you should do. It's still not over. The woman calls the police. The police come to the door. They knock on my mother's door. My mother answers the door. Yes. It's the Montreal police. We have a complaint. My mother says, what's the complaint? Well, your tenant, your tenant says there's no heat. What are you? The heat police. Go catch a crook. <laughs> she slams the door. And then my father says, who was that? And mom says, somebody selling chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that. She sounds like she, as my grandma used to say, full of piss and vinegar. <laughs> yes, exactly. And I think that that kept her going right till till old age, right till 
in her el very elderly stage at the very end in, in the hospital in um the you know like emergency part of the hospital like you know the intense care intensive care ward right um they said it's unbelievable that you know like they thought that that's it that she's a goner no not only did she first survive the intensive care ward then went back to the regular ward then they said well she's fine there's nothing wrong with her we're sending her home <laughs> and she went home and for another four or five months was fine and i was go visiting her and, uh, and the doctor there said she, she said that some of these holocaust survivors they just they just they hold on like they see life as very precious and they hold on to it at all costs and so that's what mom did and that's what mom taught me well and yeah and how could you have not have inherited if not some maybe a lot of of that type of personality i mean then and what is what a story and i'm sure there's like a ton more to right. story but just those little snippets that you shared uh, you know it makes you sit there and think you know it would have been an absolute joy to know her, get to yeah. meet her and spend a few minutes with her, you know? Yeah. So it's awesome that you're sharing yeah, well, her, her you legacy book, with people. I think that's awesome. And that, that you, you know, you've got a book that's, that's about her and, and her journey. And I, I think it's lovely and I'm, I'm thanking you for doing it. <laughs> well, th thank you. I mean, I, I'm glad I, I wrote the book in a way as to share her, like I was lucky enough and privileged to have her my whole life. So it's to share her and the comments I've often gotten about uh, from people who've read the book is that they felt that that they know her, not that feel that they know her. And I also did an audio book, like I have it as a hardcover, softcover ebook and available everywhere, of course. And also as an audio book. And I spent four days in an, uh, in an unair conditioned recording studio in uh, Montreal to record the book uh, myself. And uh, it took like four hours a day for four days to record the entire, to record it all. And I, it was because I wanted to share her and because people feel good because they feel that they have spent, as you so well put it, that they have spent a few minutes with her, that they got to know her in a way based on the book, because, you know, the book has, you know, some um, some pictures, there's the audio book with my, the sound of me and my imitation of her, which I must say is pretty good. Uh, right. <laughs> I say that in all modesty. I'm very glad I wrote the book to be able to share mom uh, with, with everyone else. And uh, one of the stories about her really explains why I chose the career that I did. I got very good marks in school, except for one subject, conduct. I got F minus. You, unsatisfactory was the worst mark you could get. It was excellent, very good, good, fair, you, unsatisfactory. I got an F minus in conduct. So mom wanted to know why. And she said, uh, why, what is what is conduct? I said, well, it's how I behave in, in class. She says, well, what do you do that the teacher doesn't like? I said, well, I talk a lot. I talk a lot in class. She said, there's nothing wrong with that. And then I made a career out of talking a lot. I talked for three hours a day, five days a week, from nine in the morning till noon, Monday to Friday, on talk radio about everything, local news, local politics, national, international. One of the subjects we had... Uh, I had a producer called Daniela uh, Scopa, and we had something called, a segment called Daniela's Dilemma. And this was at her wedding. Should she wear high heels or what's the thing you wear on the beach? Flats, uh, flip-flops. Flip-flops, exactly, exactly. High heels or flip-flops. And that, the entire, all of Canada wanted to weigh in on what she should do. <laughs> uh, so, so I did talk radio for 20 years.
And that was great because I figured out the secret of, of talk radio, which I've explained to many guests and some of them get it and some of them don't. Stop trying to be a quote, quote, unquote, radio personality or trying to be somebody who sounds like they're on radio. Just talk like you would to anybody else. If you're on a train and you're chatting with somebody, do you look at notes? Do you have to check all that? No, you could have a conversation. So that's what being a talk show host is as the interviewer. And that's what it is as a guest. You're having a conversation. The fact that there's some electronic equipment around is neither here nor there. A conversation is still a conversation. Right. No, and I agree. And I'm so glad you shared that. I'm actually um, a co-host of a on a local radio show here for years have been it's called Voices for Vets. And we we share things that are going on in the veteran community here right. where I live. And the the gentleman and I, we have a really good rapport. And we've never when he first asked me, hey, you want to do this? You know, because you're a veteran and you're the one that's out there all the time. I'll just provide the platform. And that's how it started. And I think it's 11 or 12 years now. We do it once a week for about 10 to 12 minutes. And the chatting, it's just chit-chatting because it's just two friends chit-chatting about what's happening in our area. You know, who's doing what, where they're at, what's happening. And it's just keeping it casual. Yeah, and I, you know, after doing that and still doing that radio show for, for 12 years now, the casualness, just being casual. I completely agree with what you said earlier. Just being casual it's like you're sitting down having a cup of coffee with a friend. It makes it so much better, I feel, for the listeners. And they they connect with you a lot more. And they, instead they do, of because it's real. Yes. It's, it's real. The other one is, oh, I've been asked the question. Now I will answer it a certain way that that's fake. And the audience can tell, especially if it's just audio, right? Right. You don't see that it's audio. You sense is this a genuine conversation going on or is it a fake conversation? And so we've had a genuine conversation the same way, literally, if I would have been sitting next to you on a, on a train, right? And we'd be chatting about what I do and I tell you the stories, be the same thing. So that's how I operate when I do interviews. That's how I operate on the radio. And I think you agree. I mean, that's what works. It definitely does work. Yes. And, what's, and what should be easier, right, than being yourself? It's hard to be somebody else, but we can be ourselves. By the way, I'm curious, what kind of, uh, you said you were uh, a veteran yourself. Uh, where did you serve? I was in the Air Force, um, and I was all stateside, actually. Oh wow! Went in yeah. right out of went in right out of high school. Wow! Yeah, cool. and I'm glad I did. I'm glad I did. It changes the way you see the world, and yeah. it, it changes you as a person. You know, you're in basic training; they're, they're breaking you down for a reason because they're going to build you up into a a different person than what you wow. walked in there. So it's a lot of, a lot of physical stuff and a lot of mind games. Mm -hmm. um, but, but looking back, how else could you, how else could you do that? And then expect right. people to go out and literally sacrifice their lives right. in many hot spots around, you know, the world. But yeah, I didn't, I didn't do anything noteworthy. I, I served my country and I'm glad I did. Um, That's noteworthy. Serving your country is noteworthy. Absolutely. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> Right. I mean, going through the training and doing all that is noteworthy as opposed to, you know, kicking back on a hammock. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. And I don't even like hammocks. I can never stay in them. I always flip out of them. <laughs> all right. So you've got this 20 year career in the radio. Um, you're, you're now an author. What other books or do you have other books out besides um, makeup for makeup tips from Auschwitz? Yes, I have a couple of other books. Many years ago, I wrote a book called 
Gold Digger's Guide, How to Marry Rich. It was a humor <laughs> book. Um, I've also written a book called uh, Canada's Not a Real Country, which was a political book during the Quebec separation uh, period. And then the, uh, I wrote a book called Are We On Yet?, which is a guide on how to be interviewed. You know, so if you are being interviewed, what you should do and what you shouldn't do. So I wrote that in 2012, I think. That, that was the, the, one, the one before this one, before the memoir. You have a you have a really good knack of coming up with good book titles. <laughs> <laughs> you do. Every every one that you said, I'm like, oh, I could read that. Oh, I could uh, read that. <laughs> oh, good, good. Hey, that are we on yet? You should be. You do you still promote that one? Uh, yes, yes, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I've never heard of it, and I'm going to check it out now. So, I mean, what an awesome thing! Because the way the world now is everybody's online right right you're absolutely right yeah oh yeah like uh i'm still i'm still doing promotion of that and i've got a great compliment i serve on a, a foundation uh, on the board of directors of the foundation for genocide education in in canada which uh, mandates that the subject of genocide is, uh, should be taught in, in high schools across the country and they were hiring a pr firm to launch the the course that they provided for teachers and the PR agency, National Public Relations, which is the biggest public relations company in Canada, they told the president of our board that say, oh, by the way, um, there's a book written by this guy, Tommy Schnurmacher, that's quite interesting about how to be interviewed if you wanted to, uh, if you I can send you that book. And they said, yeah, you don't have to say that. We know it. He's on our board. So, but it was great for me to hear that this national, it's called National Public Relations, that this big company, the number one PR company in Canada, thought the book was good enough to hand out to their clients. That's amazing. And, yeah. you know, what a what a kind of boost for you that had to have been. Yes, it was wonderful. It felt great. Yeah, surprise. I bet. Yeah. I mean, it's awesome. You've got an amazing history and I'm sure hundreds of more stories to share, but we're about running out of time. I do want you to share with the listeners where they can find you and all of your amazing books. Okay, uh, they can, first of all, they can write to me at uh, talkradiotommy at gmail.com. Uh, they can send me an email. The book is available at my website, talkradiotommy.com. And you can buy it at your local bookstore. You can order it at your local bookstore on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Million Books, or whatever it's called in, in the US. And you can order it in Australia, you can order it in Great Britain anywhere if you look up my name or makeup tips from Auschwitz it'll it'll come up it'll pop right up there and you can order it from your local independent bookstore go in and tell them the name of the book they'll order it they won't have it on the shelf mind you but they'll order it for you and we need to we need to go into our brick local and mortar bookstore. bookstores yes absolutely and any little bookstore in your neighborhood will be able to get the book for you and they need the support so yes awesome that's an awesome thing to remind our listeners of. So before we wrap up, what's next for you? What's next for me, thinking of starting a new uh, business, uh, with, uh, which has nothing to do with what I've done, which is I got an addiction. My latest addiction is auctions, uh, because in auction houses, right, I find out that you can buy like magnificent oil paintings. And if no one's interested, they start at $15 and, it's, and no one else bids. You've got an oil painting. It's $15. The frame costs 100 I bought a creepy doll, a, like a four foot creepy doll. I don't need a creepy doll, but it was 20 bucks. 
I couldn't leave it there at the auction house. So what I'm doing is thinking of opening up a little boutique near my country place of like some of these finds to do in retirement because I'm enjoy I'm adoring uh, retirement. I'm still very busy. So, you know, I'm on the I'm the Quebec representative for the Writers Union of Canada. I serve on that board. I'm doing promotion of the book. I get to speak to charming people like you. So I'm still busy with all that. But that's my next uh, project. That is right up my alley. I love that stuff. My grandmother got me hit, hitched on going to flea markets and yes. auctions and garage sales and what to look for and how to haggle. Yeah, it's great. It's unbelievable. And, it, and again, at the auctions, if four or five people want it, forget it. The price is going to go crazy. But if no one is interested in whatever that object is, you get it for next to nothing. I've, I've had that happen to me a few times where I've gotten something that I know is worth several hundred dollars and i end up walking away with it for eight dollars right yeah because no if there's no one else there right? yeah or they don't know what it is they're looking at yeah yeah enough enough and people don't and what happens is you know somebody had it in the house you left it to somebody else and they don't know where they got it or what it was and they can't be bothered to look right yeah you have those maybe it's, it's several generations removed and they're cleaning out the attic of right great grandma's house they have no idea what they're holding in their hands. Right. They don't know where she got it or what she paid for it or what it meant. Right. Right. We we did that myself, my sister and I, three summers ago. It was 10 weekends in a row. It was a two-hour drive one way. We went and cleaned up my grandma's house. And the family had lived there for 104 years. Whoa. So, yeah. That attic and that oh, basement. Oh, it wow. was. Oh, we were, we were in a time capsule. And thankfully, my sister and I both... We might not know what it is, but we're like, well, we can't leave this here. Well, we've got to take this with us. So we ended up 10 weekends in a row with a U-Haul truck going back and forth, back and forth, cleaning stuff out. And it got to be the joke where we said, well, we're not leaving this here. Well, we're not leaving this here. This here. So I still, I have a two-car garage. One side of that garage is, is I just say, that's grandma's house because, <laughs> because wow. we weren't leaving it there. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. So now it's now it's one stall of my two car garage is my grandma's house. Oh, I totally house, understand so. that. Yeah, and I still don't know. You know, I go in there and I'll just be like, "What am I gonna do with this?" And I'm like, "But I, we couldn't get rid of it." Yeah. Certain things we just couldn't get rid of, but yeah, I love doing auctions and all that. So good luck with that. That is going to be an amazing amount of fun, actually. Right. Yeah, that's what I thought. That's what I'm doing it for. I mean, I, I don't think it's going to be making any any money but that's not the purpose of it the purpose of it is to have is to have fun and it's just the thrill of finding something yeah yeah, yeah. you know because it, it is it for me anyway it's a thrill yeah well absolutely awesome stuff awesome thank you so much for being my guest today tommy this has been an absolute pleasure hearing about your mom and your radio career and your new venture that you're going to be doing here in your retirement you know what a what a fun thing and relaxing i would think yeah, absolutely. Well, it was a delight speaking to you. It was a great interview. I loved it. Absolutely loved it. Thank you so much. Everybody out there listening, thank you for joining in to another episode of Let Fear Bounce. I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as myself and Tommy did. Each Wednesday, folks, new episodes go up. This is Kim Langling, your host of Let Fear Bounce. Everybody be well, stay well, and be blessed.